Hello, um, I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic, and you're listening to Genuine Chit Chat. Hello there, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. And this week, I am thrilled to finally release my conversation with Mary Kenny, who is a senior writer at Insomniac Games. She's also the author of the book Gamer Girls. She's also done various comics for IDW Publishing, including My Little Pony and Godzilla vs. Mothra. She has done a huge, huge amount of things, and she's only been in the industry for a few years, so her career is definitely one to watch. But I had the pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Mary for for over an hour. We talk about all the things I just mentioned, her writing process, how she got into video games, some of the behind the scenes things that people may not realize about writing certain video games. Obviously her perspective comes specifically from writing for Insomniac slash Sony, so it's not a view on every single part of the gaming industry, but it's still really, really interesting to hear about those things. I want to also add in here that I did have to cut out certain parts of the conversation because I had to send it off for Sony to get reviewed and make sure we didn't talk about anything that they didn't want released. It was mainly just details of how certain games are made and things like that that they wanted cut out. So the conversation is still absolutely fantastic and they didn't take out any of the biggest, most important parts of the conversation. But I just want to clarify that in case you hear it in either the editing or you think certain responses from either myself or Mary didn't 100% line up exactly with what was just said. That's the reason why. But it was still absolutely delightful to be able to speak with Mary. The conversation is brilliant, even with the edits. And if you want to watch the video version, that will be uploaded onto YouTube very soon. So that's going to be enough for me, my friends. Just make sure you check out the show notes for information on Mary. You can go to her website, link to her book, as well as her Twitter account, those sorts of things. And obviously, always check the show notes for other things I've been involved with, obviously guest spots and that sort of thing. But thank you so much for listening. I'll be back at the end to give more information of what's coming up and a few other bits and pieces. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Mary Kenny. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16-year-olds in English. Subscribe to Era of Geek to hear their stories. It's one of them, like, you've ever going to grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life. I, I enjoy what I do. This is my hobby. Search for Era of Geek on your favourite podcatcher or go to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And here we are. I am joined today with an incredible individual who is heavily involved in video games and also comics and anything nerdy and amazing, really. And so I'm so happy to introduce Mary Kenny. Please tell people about yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Mary. I am a senior writer at Insomniac Games. Right now, I'm working on Marvel's Wolverine. Uh, in the past, I worked on Marvel's Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Um, I worked for a little while on Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, and before that, I was a writer at Telltale Games. And uh, as you just said, I also dabble in the book space. Um, I have a book coming out in a month, um, 
a month from recording, month, but a month called... <laughs> Who knows what uh, it'll be from this point? A couple of weeks? Yesterday? Soon-ish? We'll put a link in the description. It'll sometime be fine. In, the, in the temporal sphere, I have a book that is called Gamer Girls, 25 Women Who Built the Video Game Industry, uh, is the book I have coming out. Uh, and then I also work in comics. I've written for IDW for a few years now, doing uh, My Little Pony, Pony Read Only Memories, um, and I also did Godzilla. So. Yeah, it was Mothra, right. wasn't it? It was Rivals Mothra. Godzilla, yeah, yeah versus Mothra, which is great. <laughs> it was so much fun. You are incredibly busy with everything. And also, that's not to speak about with questions that I can't ask and you wouldn't answer anyway, of all the things going on in the background that you can't talk <laughs> about. So it's like you are an incredibly busy individual. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. before we delve in deep into any of the specific uh, subject matter, let's ask about your sort of how you got into this realm. So your kind of first and earliest memories of comic books or video games, kind of the thing that you recall sparking the, the passion for these things. Please tell us about that and we'll, we'll go from there. Absolutely. So as a kid, I was a, I was a big reader from the, I mean, as, as far back as I can remember. And my first video game was Neverwinter Nights, the original, uh, on PC. Uh, and my, my uncle gave it, like kind of loaned it to me. Maybe she'll like it. She probably won't. I know she likes fantasy. She's a little nerd, you know, like my first fantasy books were the Dragonlance series. So he's like this, this is similar. Uh, so, so he loaned me this game and I just, that was, you could not pry me off the computer. It was my new favorite thing. It was everything I loved about reading a book, but like, I got to be in it. I got to make choices in it. I got to make my own character. That's so cool. Um, so that really sucked me into video games, uh, when I was young and I, I grew up playing them, which is, which is very cool. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've never left since then. Um, but then I kind of took a break from video games really like in high school, just because I was busy. It wasn't, wasn't, you know, like, I don't like them anymore. It was, I was just busy and in high school. Uh, but I came back to them in college uh, when Dragon Age Origins came out mm. and I, my then boyfriend, now husband bought it and I was saw him playing it. And I was like, he's making the bad decisions. I need to make better decisions. <laughs> so, uh, so I played that. Sucked me right back into video games, and I've been here ever since. Um, comic books I came to um, a little bit later. I, I, as a kid, I started out, you know, watching, watching. I loved all the X Men shows. I loved um, Justice League. I loved Teen Titans, and then, you know, kind of in a roundabout way, started getting getting to read them in middle school. I started. I was like, oh, you can borrow comic books from the library. I had no idea, and and that's kind of what sucked me in. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, with myself, like I, I was into video games at a young age. I think my earliest memory ever was getting a Game Boy Color, I think when I was about mm -hmm. four or five or something. And it was from then it was that and I got a PlayStation shortly after that and Crash Bandicoot and etc. So video games yeah. were hugely part of my young life. And then, yeah, I came to comics a bit later as well. I Probably even later than you. I, I read a lot of comics when I was really young. There's things in England called uh, the Beano and the Dandy. That's where Dennis mm -hmm. the Menace came from. If I don't know how if yep. Americans are even aware that much of Dennis the Menace. You're nodding, so you're you're probably aware. But I don't know if any of my other audience really know who Dennis the Menace really is, apart from I think there's a rubbish movie out about it. But from that like young age, I I did that, and then I kind of I read a bit, but in you know school, college sort of time, I I drifted off reading a bit, and then when I got into uh, the Disney era of Star Wars and stuff, uh, you know when we had so much more new content and things, and I'm a massive Star Wars fan, you know tattoos and everything of Star Wars, so everything about that, but a friend of mine got me some comics of that and I was like oh this is quite cool Dr. Afro what an interesting character and then 
you know, flash forward two years and I was like, I need every single Star Wars comic <laughs> there is. And then that, and then my friend's like, why are you only reading Star Wars? There's this amazing, you know, have you read The Killing Joke? No, I haven't. What are you doing with your life? Go read that. And slowly it's kind of the the greatest hits of Marvel and DC and certain indie comics as well. I'm, I'm slowly getting in that realm. So, you yeah. know, it's, I wish I'd gotten to it earlier though, but then, you know, time there's only a finite amount of time in the day so it's like absolutely yeah uh, no i i had i had a sort of a similar experience in that i had read some of alan moore's stuff i love v for vendetta v for vendetta is my favorite movie and so i oh, went back and tier. obviously read, read read the the comics and all my friends were like why haven't you read watchmen yet <laughs> like mm. what? and and i kept being like oh i don't it's so big and it's like scary and it's such a staple <laughs> and then finally like two years ago i read it and i was like well that was why didn't I do this earlier? Oh, if only someone had told me. <laughs> this is really good. Yeah. But you're right. There's a finite amount of time and there's a lot of stuff out there. So. Well, yeah. And I was about to say like, oh, if I didn't have a job or if, if, you know, if I didn't have a job, I could do all these things. But obviously the only way I could not actually have a job is with the lottery, which I don't even partake in the lottery. So, you know, someone incredibly rich just have to give me loads of money and I don't know anyone rich. Um, but I was thinking like, oh, but if, you know, podcasting took off to such a degree, I could make a full time career off it. I was like, maybe I'd have more time. It's like, no, I'd be more like what you're doing, which is like you're getting to do a lot of what you're passionate about in your career. But that doesn't mean you've got more free time. What it means is you're because you're so passionate about your job, you're investing even more free time into being able to do certain things with your job. And then you're like, oh. I've got a few hours free a day. Why don't I write a book? Oh, I've got a few yeah. other things. Why don't I fill the time with everything conceivable that you can? So yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm actually I'm fairly relentless about carving out some time for myself where I'm not working because when I first got into it, when I first got into to games and and writing fiction professionally, I wasn't like that, and I was burning myself out very mm. quickly because like I wake up. At the time, I woke up really early, like at four in the morning for no apparent reason, but woke up really early. I'd like have a cup of coffee and then I dive right into I'm going to be writing all day. And, um, you know, maybe I stop around like six thirty or seven because then fiance, now husband is saying, uh, maybe we should maybe we should eat dinner. Maybe you could <laughs> relax like a little bit. I don't know. Uh, and. I, I was in real danger of burning myself out when I first got into the industry. Cause you're right. Cause you're so, so passionate about what you do. And you're like, this, this is what I want to do all the time. Uh, I don't, what else am I going to do? So it became really important to get hobbies that are not my job and, and kind of really be strict about carving out. Like this is the time every day where I'm going to run or walk or go, go antiquing or like do something that is, is separate. Um, which has helped a lot, I will say, because it is very easy to fall into that. Mm. Yeah, I think for people who are incredibly passionate about really any aspect of their life, it's very important to, yeah, as you say, um, time managed to a degree of not being so you're 100% efficient. So it's that you have breathing room, because even I've found with podcasting, like with uh, with my partner, it's like, you know, we have, I have to make sure every evening we do have some time together. But there's, especially at the moment, as of recording this, there's Kenobi, Ms. Marvel, uh, Stranger Things, The Boys, RuPaul's Drag Race, All-Star Series 7. And that's just <laughs> all the things that are like in our immediate vicinity, not to mention we're also watching Buffy because she's never seen 
Buffy before. I was, oh, wow. I, I watched okay. when I was younger. She's never had any of it spoiled. We're on series six. She has no idea what's going to happen. It's like, oh, can't wait. Can't wait. But it's like, I've had to do that as well. And even with podcasting, I'm like, I've, I've slowly, it started to drift into my free time because I'm like, hmm, I could do a podcast about Disney movies. And I know Megan would want to be involved in that. So now the hobby is, yeah, I watch a movie that's fun, but I'm writing notes the whole time. So I'm like half working. So I still have to have a few shows. I'm like, Let's let's just watch this show. I won't even talk about it on the podcast because otherwise yep. it will spiral out. It really changes it. Yeah, no, I, I um I've talked to a lot of fellow you know game writers and, and just people in game dev in general. Like it it shifts the way that you play video games. Like mm. I just noticed things that I wouldn't have noticed a few years ago about uh, I mean, you know just just oh that how this animation is firing and how the how this line of dialogue is hooked up and stuff that I normally wouldn't think about. Um, I wouldn't say that it's ruined it for me it's just shifted it for me um and and you know i know a lot of people who uh try to not necessarily avoid but limit how many games within their own genre the ones that they're working on that they play right so it's Mm -hmm. like let's say if you work on single player uh linear action games maybe you're lean you're playing multiplayer in your free time because it doesn't feel like work as much so so that I totally get what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a problem with nerd culture, especially in the modern era, where there's there's such an unfathomable amount of content. It, it's as well, it's just, it's overloading and we just want to consume it all because it's so, so much of it is so cool. And there's so many uh, creators now that are getting uh, the spotlight as they should have been over the last God knows how many decades. But they're finally getting that. So it's like, oh my God, there's so many more cool things with representation and this character's coming out. And obviously where you were one of the writers on Mars Morales, and that's like a massive landmark. I mean, in the last, you know, probably five years ago, the majority of people, you go, who's Spider-Man? And they go, Peter Parker. And there was no, yeah. not even a question of anyone else. And then, you know, Spider-Verse dropped and then shortly after Mars Morales dropped. And then suddenly it's like, oh, there's more than one Peter Parker, you know, and he's a person of color. And it's like, oh, that, and the whole elements in the game itself really lean into certain parts. Like my my girlfriend, she's um, half Italian. She speaks. She's an, uh, she's a, a languages teacher, so she speaks Spanish oh, wow. and French, and she's Italian and she speaks English. And I'm just here like I can speak English quite well. <laughs> but like in, I loved in that game. There's little parts of where like um, especially the conversation with uh, the mum uh, whose name I've forgotten. Rio. Rio. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. so with her, it's like and she speaks in Spanish. And it's got that, I, I love that element. And it's quite an interesting part that, especially in American culture over the last five, 10 years, I, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is part to play in this, but the the Spanglish kind of coming into the, the mainstream a lot more. So I just love that kind of, you don't have to have a game that's just like, this game is about Spanish culture and that's it. And this game is about Harlem and nothing else. It's like, no, no, culture is a ever shifting, you know, combining thing all the time. So in Miles Morales specifically, I loved playing that and having those elements come into it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was really it was a special project because um, we all we felt the same way and we worked with writers and I mean honestly researchers and uh, linguists uh, specifically on the Spanish. So like there are different dialects of Spanish that you will hear in different parts of the game. Everybody in that cast was also just really passionate about what we were doing, and that I think that came through in the final product. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the voice work was absolutely flawless. It, it was mm-hmm. like, it really helped with the immersion of the game. And um, one thing, one note I wanted to add was when I uh, listened to you on the, um, I think it's She Games podcast, mm-hmm. 
oh, she makes games podcast. It she was, plays games. Yeah. She plays games. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, your second appearance on that, I thought it was excellent, both yourself and the host. But the, I think at the start of the uh, conversation, there was a mention on um, sort of how you got into um, Mars Morales. How, how, as in, you became a writer on there? And I really liked the anecdote of that when you were kind of <laughs> first interviewed. So I wonder if you can. Yeah, I'm s- stealing bits from other podcasts. I will say <laughs> to other people, go check out that podcast. I'll make sure I include a link because it was a really, really cool conversation. I'm trying not to tread the same ground, but that anecdote is too good to miss. So if you could share it with us again, please. I am happy to tell this anecdote a million times. Uh, so the anecdote is um, after I was working at Telltale when Spider Man came out and. Uh, after Telltale closed, I played the heck out of Spider-Man and uh, Miles was my favorite character, like far and away. I loved it. Every time he showed up, all of his playable missions, he, he was my favorite. And I have, let's say, an active Twitter account and, you know, kind of put out in the world, wow, I'm playing so much Spider-Man. I will never, you know, emerge from the void because I love it here. And <laughs> so I I applied to, to the writing job at Insomniac and uh, they brought me in for interviews. And... Um, Brian Intahar, who was the creative director of Spider-Man, uh, asked me like, okay, so we can tell from your Twitter that you've played Spider-Man. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> <But> he's like, <laughs> he's like uh, so, so we can tell that you've played Spider-Man. Uh, you know, if, if you, if you were hired and, you know, what, what would you make next with that franchise? If it were up to you, what would you make next with the franchise? And I said, I would make a Miles game. I love Miles. He's the best. Now, he already knew that they were hiring me for a Miles game that had not been announced yet. So he's sitting there like <laughs> extreme <laughs> poker face <laughs> as I'm just waxing poker. And this is why I think a Miles game would be amazing because and he's just like, you yeah, know, I agree. <laughs> because <laughs> we've already greenlit it it's already happening cost like uh so, so yes that is the anecdote i launched into why i thought a miles game would be perfect and magical and great and they were in fact hiring me for a miles game so my first day at insomniac a few months later uh first day they're like okay so you're on the miles game and i was like yes <laughs> so yeah that's the whole <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. I, it was just, it was so funny of just, I, I, I could imagine being that gentleman and being there and just being like, <laughs> I can't even reveal even slightly, even because even if you said something slip like, oh, it's really good that you like Miles Morales and you'd go, oh, why? And he'd be like, no reason. Because <laughs> he is a person. Moving on. <laughs> he is a, a good, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> So speaking of sort of writing and things, um, I know that you had, uh, before you were a video game writer, uh, you had a career as a journalist. So I wonder if you could tell us sort of how did you get into journalism? How did that kind of feed into your video game writing? Like, was that the plan? Just a sort of a generous idea of how did you kind of get to where you are today or from where you were to sort of Mars Morales and your kind of the big spotlight on you where everyone kind of knew your name in a sense. (laughs) Yeah, um, goodness. Uh, there was certainly no plan. We should, <laughs> there was not a plan. Uh, uh, so I, I knew from the time I was, I was pretty young that I wanted to be a writer. Um, in high school, I was actually torn between wanting to be a writer or wanting to go into music. So, so when I first got to college, I was actually a music major, but I knew pretty fast that like, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to be a writer. <laughs> But um, I come from a very pragmatic family that was like, if you're going to be a writer, it needs to, you can't do like creative writing. People don't get jobs in that. And 
as I'm saying this, I want all of you listeners, if you are majoring in creative writing, it, yes, people do get jobs in it. You're fine. <laughs> like, I, I support you <laughs> because the, the moral of the story is going to be that was wrong, but okay. But I wanted to be very pragmatic. So I went for a degree in journalism because I'm like, ah, that is, that is a way to write, but also, you know, actually be employed. The problem is I chose newspapers <laughs> Not knowing that they were maybe not about to have a heyday, let's say, <laughs> uh, in, in American media. So uh, I went to newspapers um, and I, I ended up, I, I was a journalist for a few years. I worked in newspapers and in magazines um, for a few years. And the parts of it that I really enjoyed were getting to talk to people and getting to travel and meet a bunch of people who were um, very different from me. I think this informs, uh, you know, my work today is that I'm getting to write a lot of fiction and talk to a lot of people and learn a lot of things I otherwise wouldn't. Uh, so that's great. Uh, but that was the part of journalism I liked. Um, there were a lot of parts of journalism. I just frankly didn't enjoy though. I didn't, um, I, I wasn't really loving my career, even though it was going pretty well. So, um, a few years into being a journalist, I decided to apply to grad school, um, either in creative writing or in game design. And I got into NYU's Game Center um, for their, their MFA in game design. And I was there for a year. And after a year, I uh, got an internship at Telltale, um, went to do that, and uh, worked on Batman the Enemy Within while I was an intern. And at the end of the internship, they were like, do you like forever. And I went, yep. (laughs) I stayed at Telltale. I moved off of uh, Batman and onto pre-production for Walking Dead, the final season, um, where I, you know, we sketched out the whole story of the whole season. And we, uh, you know, it was, it was, that was also really a special project. It has a, it has a special place in my heart. I have a tattoo of it. It's a whole thing. Uh, But I was a lead episode writer, episode two of that series. And I was a writer on, on the whole series. And that's kind of where it just took off. I was at Telltale. And then after Telltale, um, you know, after, after the layoffs, I uh, was freelancing for about six months. And then I started um, uh, at Insomniac on Miles. And I've been at Insomniac for three years now. Yeah, Incredible. Yeah, amazing. It's, it's one of those things like, when you have creative individuals, there's um, the term I think is analysis paralysis, where sometimes there's too many paths and you're just like, I could yeah. go this way, I could go that way. And it's when you have a family who is pragmatic, it's kind of like, you know, they would, uh, my dad was always like, you should become an accountant. And I was like, okay. I mean, I was good at maths and I was fairly good at IT stuff. And he was like, you make loads of money being an accountant. And it's like, you know, now nearing 30, I'm like, I could really have used that accountant salary, you know, when buying <laughs> yeah. this house. But, you know, I tried accountancy in college and it was, so awful i was just like you know no offense anyone who's an accountant we need accountants in the world but not for me yeah. uh, i couldn't do yeah. that so there is that line of things you know and i I really enjoy media but i was like i'm ah, trying to pursue media and it's that kind of thing of like trying to pursue something that's really enjoyable and fun but trying to pursue something that can actually make you money because i would just yeah. be happy to kind of just bounce around doing vague media stuff for almost my entire life but making no money <laughs> so <laughs> you yeah, have to yeah. try and find that balance really and it's amazing that you did Thanks. Yeah. No, I talked to, um, so I started teaching narrative design last semester, last fall. And uh, that's something I talk about with my students a lot is it's not, you do need to balance. Do you love this? Are you passionate about it? But also there, some people are going to choose to go into careers that they're not passionate about because it's more important to them to have this kind of work-life balance or being able to live here, being able to afford this, like all of that needs to go into your decisions. We had a lot of conversation about that, uh, I think it's important. Like, you know, for me, it is really important 
I don't want to sit down and do 40 plus hours a week uh, in a job I don't like. It would just make me fundamentally unhappy. But for some people, that's fine. Like it's just everybody's different. In with the education element of what you were saying, it's something I think is very important, which is, as you said, is with the balance. I think that one issue with certain elements of education, I know that the British education system, especially for the the mandatory parts of school um, and similarly in America as well, it's kind of they try and. I think they're trying to break out of it now a bit, but it's kind of that one size fits all. It's like, this is how we do it for everyone. And it's like, there's some people who don't do great at school, even though they're incredibly intelligent and vice versa. So I wondered if, just to ask, with your approach to teaching, like what what made you go into that? You know, it's not something that one would often associate with, you know, oh, I was one of the head writers at Miles Morales. Oh, cool. I also teach stuff. It's like, that's amazing, but I didn't Sorry, connect what? those dots. <laughs> so I wonder if you could just talk about how you kind of got into that and, and why, really, in order to... <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> my, my girlfriend's a teacher, so I, I see some of the uh, the problems <laughs> with being a teacher, but I do understand there's a lot of stuff you can really gain from it. There's a, It's very rewarding in the right ways. But yeah, I'd love to hear your, your take on it, really. Yeah. So first, I want to draw a line between myself and uh, people who teach full time because, oh my goodness, what a hard job! What like, like that's that public really schools hard. or things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but I do. Um, I you know I taught a class last fall, and I will be teaching again this year. And the reason I went into it, um, I I really love teaching. I started off kind of testing the waters. Um, I I met. So I went to Indiana University for my degree in journalism and which was uh, it's in the media school, the school that it's in. And uh, they a few years ago now started a game design degree, but a bachelor's and I think they have a master's too. Yes, they do. <laughs> I'm doing great here, uh, but but they also have a degree in game design. And uh, so I met a couple of people who were who were working on, you know, getting the classes up to speed, like setting everything up um, a few years ago at GDC. And and we just got to talking and, and you know, I said something kind of offhand about like, well, you know, if you ever need a writing teacher and they went, <laughs> sorry, what? Because you know, there are a, a ton there aren't a ton of game writers and thus there aren't a ton of game writing teachers. Uh, so, uh, they, they kind of pulled me in to teach like a weekend workshop. They, and a couple times, and and that was kind of the, the test. I taught a one credit class that was just like three days long. It was Friday through Sunday. Uh, and, uh, after I had done that a couple times, you know, I realized I really liked it and they realized I was not terrible at it. And so we, we moved ahead and, and, and they got me, uh, into teach narrative design, uh, for a semester. And, and then again, it was like, do, do I really have the bandwidth for this? Do I really like it? Um, and the answer is yes. <laughs> um, I think it, it, it's interesting that you say like, oh, someone who, who worked, you know, as a video game writer, becoming a teacher is a little weird. And actually I think it's, it's a, I, I don't think your perception is wrong, but I, I think, we have more in common than people might think because um, as Walt Williams has said, who is the um, narrative director on, on Wolverine. So the person I work with very closely, um, as he says a lot, game writing, half of it is just being a really good writer who can pull people into a story and come up with great characters and do good dialogue, you know, all that stuff. But half of it is teaching because Mm. we are teaching you how to play the video game. We are telling you, this is how this mechanic works. This is how you can tell that's the direction to go. This is how, you know, we we are, a lot of what ends up in a video game is also just teaching you how to get through the thing. So game writers, 
you know, maybe even more than others are kind of primed to be teachers and explainers as well. Um, so that's my perspective. I really like it. I, I really have enjoyed teaching. I'm also just really passionate about getting new game writers in the industry. Um, I think you were talking earlier about um, we're seeing so many new stories from new and diverse creators. And I think that's where we, we have to start is that we are, we are um, nurturing, you know, people from diverse backgrounds early and, and giving you all the lessons and, and, propping you up to join this industry uh, as firmly as we can. So I I want to see more people break into the industry. I want to see um, more and more stories from more and more different people. And teaching feels like a good way to do that. And I really enjoy it. I like giving people script notes and, and helping them figure out how to tell the stories bouncing around in their head. It's just, it's been a good experience. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. And this is a question that I didn't uh, write down because it only just came to me. So you, I'm not <laughs> expecting a massive answer on this, just in case I, I know that it's uh, maybe too close to the grain of the where you work and things. But with your recent promotion and things, have you found that <laughs> um, the teaching element has helped? Because where you obviously, in any job, as you go higher up, you become more senior. Generally speaking, you then have more knowledge to impart on people below you, or you have more air quotes power on the team below you so i wondered if the teaching element has kind of synergistically worked in both part both parts of your career in life the teaching element and also the video game uh, part yeah i i would say yes um it, it you know teaching i've had to kind of level up my public speaking skills a bit uh as as i stumble over the word which is just like <laughs> like chef's kiss um, but like had to, had to step up uh, public speaking, uh, being better at pitching, being better at just explaining stuff. I, I do think it did feed into um, each other. And and it when I told my boss, actually the head of the story department, uh, Armand Constantine, who is great, uh, when I told him that I was planning to teach, um, he actually set up a bunch of opportunities at Insomniac to get ready to teach. We're like, oh, I wow. could mentor our interns and I could teach our class of interns and like, uh, so it also has directly fed into each other because um, they they have also helped me with that and and vice versa. Some of the stuff that I taught my class at IU, I have in turn taken to Insomniac and taught other people and, and shared you know some of some of the insights that we all had. So yes, the short answer is yep, it all feeds into <laughs> each other. The long answer is it directly did because um, people on both sides kind of helped mentor me and that I really appreciated that as well. That's amazing. I always like hearing about when I think people underestimate how important it is when you both in your personal hobbies and things, but in life, just having a diverse, not, not only outlook of culture, but diverse things you'd want to do. Like my career of the, the air quotes money making career, I worked in graphic design um, and I worked at a cassette and CD production place. So I would design artwork and things. I'd also somewhat master audio and things. And I get to play with cassettes, which was amazing. This is only uh, when I leave there. I left there about five years ago. So it's in the last 10 years I was dealing mm -hmm. with cassettes and the, the full players and everything. It was, it was really interesting. And then when my hobby became going into podcasting, prior to that, I'd done a bit of um, YouTube stuff. I'd made music videos for bands and things and then when i started on podcasting i was like i have almost every ability to do every little bit in podcasting i've got a bit of audio yeah. i've got a bit of graphic design so i don't need to ask anyone else to do artwork for me you know and all the and dealing with sort of clients has helped me deal with trying to ask people nicely to come on the show such as yourself you know it's it's a lot weird how things that seemingly unrelated you'd pick up skills from different areas to kind of culminate into your in air quotes main passions 
Yeah. And I, I think anybody who works in game design would agree with you because also video games combine so much, right? Mm. There obviously there, there is coding. <laughs> there, there's a lot of programming that goes into it. There's a lot of technical aspect to it. There's also, um, you know, taking lessons on cinematic storytelling. There is uh, audio design. There is, you know, th- there's just so much creativity that funnels into that. So being a person who, even if you don't know everything, because who does, but like being a person who is interested in many different types of storytelling and game design, I think really helps you in this industry um, because you're going to be talking to everybody anyway. You know, I, I am, I talk to our art directors a lot and our animation directors um, just in my role and am the first to tell you, like, I don't, I'm, I'm not a visual learner. I'm really not like a visual person but they are. And, you know, I can, I can talk to them about, okay, here's my idea. These are kind of the emotional beats I want to hit. This is, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And they can say, oh, here are some ways we could do that. Maybe even like non-verbally, we could just use the visuals to tell that story. And being able to do that is one of my favorite parts of this industry. And, and I know, like I said, I was um, briefly, briefly a music major. I am not an expert in any way, but like I have a very deep interest in music and uh, music theory and uh, having that as well has helped me in, in games and in working with our audio department has, has, it's good. I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. It's helped your, it's helped, uh, foster collaboration. Cause when you want to ask, you know, the music department, oh, there's a really epic bit where we've written miles to do this and that. I kind of want it to sound maybe a bit more insert technical musical term here. And they go, oh, because of that, spe- the specific term you use, I know I can, it kind of fast tracks and shortcuts rather than us having this conversation where you're vaguely trying to describe music, even if you know nothing about music, it, you know, yeah. <laughs> little shortcuts along the way that really help foster collaboration. Totally, totally. And, and I think that um, one of the misconceptions about game writing, and, and maybe this is true at, at other studios, but it's not at, at Insomniac and it wasn't at Telltale. I think one of the misconceptions is that we early on write a script and we hand it off and then they make it the end. <laughs> now there's a video game. And that's just not really how it works in games because so much of what we do is, is iterative, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are constantly play testing. You are testing for story comprehension as well. So uh, we're, we're, we're constantly working together. Like the writers are very, um, very involved in the production process. And, and it's not the job of other departments to know the entire story and know all the character arcs and know all the thematic beats. It's your job. And so you have to be ready to, to talk about that anytime someone has a question of like, you know, let, let's pick something random. Let's say someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm writing uh, Rio's theme, like just the little song that's going to play every time she's about to come on screen. What, like, who is she? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know anything about her. And you have to be able to immediately go, okay, well, here's some stuff that she does in the story. And like, here's kind of her thematic place in it all. And here's what she's, you know, all of that stuff you have to be ready to say to help other people do their jobs. And that, that collaboration is, is really critical to us making something great. Mm, yeah, completely. And so linking in with that, obviously um, you've been, You've got you've had your hand in a lot of pies. So you've you've written for video games. You've also got your book coming out, which I won't forget. We will talk about it soon. Um, <laughs> but also like comic books and even short stories. Now, when I've spoken to other writers and things, you know, when you generally write a book for, for most sort of standard uh, fiction books, it's quite insular. It's quite introspective. Yeah. It's, you kind of sit in front of a computer and you just type away and edit and type and whatever. You may have people a little bit assist you, but it's quite yourself. When it, yeah. And I assume short stories are very similar to that as well. But with yeah. comic books, because comic books are 
primarily a visual medium and i still yeah. think today you know comic book authors uh, comic book artists rather still don't get enough uh recognition they're just incredible people yeah. and so with comic books i know they're very much a collaborative process as well you have when yeah. the, the writers really have to either write the proper notes or speak with the artists so with mm-hmm. with video games it's even more so it's elevated because video games have the kind yeah. of the weight of a movie but with the interaction which you don't really get with anything else apart from yeah. dungeons and dragons maybe you know but that's obviously a game in itself so yeah. <laughs> you know, how how have you found writing your book the comic books you've written the short stories and video games how is the process different amidst all of those and do you have one that either you generally prefer or one that you find easier obviously don't say don't say i hate writing video games not that you would but you know (laughs) sony listening Um, do you (laughs) i I love that we're just using this podcast to ruin my career just just, just a spirit of the heart of my career uh no uh i would say the biggest difference for me is in perspective Mm. and that like is this my thing or our thing? Mm. And uh, on the spectrum of my thing to our thing, it goes like the book, which even then, um, you know, the book, I wrote it, but uh, it was also illustrated uh, by Selene Pereira. So like, even then I'm like, Selene made it look really awesome. (laughs) Like, uh, and, and, you know, my, my editor, Brittany Brooks uh, just did so much, wonderful work to, to, you know, take it from, from good and be like, what if, what if great though, because she's an editor, that's what she does. But on that spectrum, it, it, the book feels much more like mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, my name is on the cover. There is obviously a lot of my voice in it because it's the whole freaking thing. (laughs) Uh, and then up from the, you know, up a few clicks from that would be a comic book where like, again, it is, it is my story that I came up with. It is, uh, my, my voices and all the dialogue. But I think you you bring up a really good point of like, it's my voice isn't all the dialogue, but the art is just as much telling that story. And in some ways, like, because it's a visual medium, even more so. So the comic book artist is as much a storyteller as I am. And, you know, is is taking these lines of description I've written and making it even better and even more dynamic and even more gripping. So like that is kind of a, that is our shared story. So and then a few clicks up from that, you get to like, I would even separate out a game with a small team. So mm. let's say like Walking Dead had a smaller team because uh, teams at Telltale were just smaller and um, still uh, pieces of it, you know, I, I feel a lot of ownership over, but there are lots of pieces that I don't really like. Maybe I, maybe I contribute in the writer's room. Um, I gave notes, I gave feedback. I might've even helped write it, but like a lot of people, animators, character artists environment like there were a lot of people involved other writers were involved in that designers um and then a few clicks up from that you get triple a video games where Mm. it's there i mean there are hundreds of people (laughs) on some of these working on these games and that is very much this is our shared experience like i you know i can see my i can see myself in a lot of pieces of miles i can see the parts that i really advocate for the scripts i wrote but even then the scripts i wrote were blueprints. Like they're not what the audience sees, right? What the audience sees is how an animator and an actor and an audio designer interpreted what I wrote. So mm-hmm. it's ours. Like even the scenes I wrote are something that we shared. And um, it is a shift in mindset. I think my favorite way to work is usually 
my day job <laughs> because I have the most familiarity with it. And honestly, I just really like being able to bounce creative ideas off other people. I find it really fun to be like, Hey, I want to get this emotional beat in. How can we do that? And, and everybody kind of, kind of weighing in. Um, and I've done a little TV work as well. And that that's also really, it's similar there. Um, it, it's more of a shared product. Uh, but like any writer, I mean, I go through phases where I'm just like, I don't want to hear from anybody but myself. <laughs> I don't, don't want to talk to anybody. And, and those are the moments where, um, I, it's, it's good for me to have side projects where I can just go off and write something and know that it's not, you know, it's not me and 16 people doing this, the story beat it's, I'm just going to go write a script real quick and it's going to be awesome. You know? Uh, and, and those are the moments where, where I prefer to just be writing the book or, or the comic book. Um, so, so I do love it all, um, on a day-to-day basis. I prefer video games, um, and, and that collaborative, collaborative style, but, but there are definitely times where I'm like, I, no, <laughs> I just want to, I want to play with my toy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, it's the collaborative element. It's kind of, I almost think of it almost like a, like a net sort of thing where it's like, if you pull up the edges of the net slowly, eventually every part of the net is going to come with it, even if some are slightly yeah. behind. So if there is something that needs to get pushed forward, or if there's a story beat that needs to get done, you could maybe uh, take a smidge of a step back for a day or maybe a week or a period of time. But at some point, you have to be involved to help push it forward again. Whereas yeah. when it's your own thing, especially if uh, when you uh, will now I'll delve into the book, but I've got one more question beforehand. But like with <laughs> writing a book, if it was in the stages where you hadn't had confirmation it was going to get published, it's like, well, I've in theory got all the time in the world. Uh, you know, you can kind of you know you can self-manage a bit you can be like oh i've got a week here where i've got loads of free time i can invest in in the the book whereas if you haven't you're like oh, i'm not kind of feeling it so i can i don't have to do it but whereas obviously miles yeah. malice you're like no I, I don't i can't just not show up at work because i'm not feeling it in, in this that sort of sense totally that that's honestly really hard for me in mm. in the um knowing that other people are relying on me finishing a thing is a great motivator for me, uh, in a way that, that you're right. Like writing books is harder for me because I'm like, you know, my book is, even if I've sold it, it's due in a year and a half. (laughs) Like I don't need to do that right now. Whereas comics have a shorter turnaround period. It's like you have a month to write it. And even then I'm like, okay, cool. So the last weekend I'm going to write it, (laughs) But, (laughs) but, but with video games, it is like, you're so much on deadline so much of the time that it's like, uh, that, that really helps me get everything done. Um, and you know, that's just a personal motivation thing, but, but it is, it is helpful to have those deadlines all the time. Um, Mm. Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> so, I mean, everyone works slightly differently, but I, I want to ask with uh, with Miles Morales specifically. Uh, once again, poaching from the She Plays Games podcast is yeah. um, there's a specific character, Haley, who I was you know enamored by. She's amazing. She's so cool in, uh, and I love how it seems like. It, I don't know if it was a concerted effort across the, an air quotes, nerdy culture, but it seems <laughs> like uh, characters who are deaf or hard of hearing who use uh, sign language. It seemed like. There was almost none in mainstream culture. And then within two years, you had it in Eternals. You've got it in uh, Miles Morales. And also there was Black Bolt in something that came out recently. That I'm not necessarily going to spoil, but, I, you know. So th- we're getting – Black Bolt was more of a breadcrumb. But there are now a lot more characters we're getting mm-hmm. who don't don't have verbal ways of communicating. So they have to use sign language and things. I wonder if you could tell mm-hmm. us just a bit about Haley, really, and just yeah. her brilliance, to be honest. She's so cool. I love <laughs> seeing her in uh, Miles Morales. 
Yeah. Uh, if there was a, uh, like a concerted effort, I was not invited to the party because I, I, <laughs> I didn't talk to, to anybody else who was about to do it, but I, but I love it. I love that the more, um, actors, that more deaf actors, that more actors that use, um, sign language are, are getting book are booking jobs mm-hmm. like this and really high profile things. I love that. Um, you know, that there is more visibility. I think it's such a great trend that, that we're all part of. And uh, it makes me feel a lot of good feelings that like Haley is part of that trend. Um, the, as I described on She Plays Games, um, uh, the the process of pitching her, um, as I, I said a little bit earlier, one of my favorite things about this job and one of the things I really loved about journalism is writing about things I don't know about. <laughs> I love doing research. I love talking to people. I love, um, that, that is, that is one of the best parts of my job. And my first week at Insomniac, uh, they were like, Hey, so, you know, we want to have this, this quest chain where Miles falls in love with his neighborhood. That's it. Like that was the prompt. But, uh, so I needed to come up with characters for Miles to talk to, uh, while falling in love with his neighborhood. And, uh, so I came up with a list of characters uh, again, I was doing a lot of research on, on like who, you know, what do I want to show? What do I want him to interact with? What, like a lot of, a lot of great writing and reading and research. It was so much fun. And I started looking into, uh, street artists in who are really active in Harlem. And I, I started just kind of thinking about, it's hard to, you know, pinpoint where, where an idea is born from, but, but I do remember having a thought like, what if she, what if she was a deaf street artist? What if that, that was, you know, this is how she communicates and she's also this really cool artist and she's a community leader. And she kind of started to come together in my head and I instantly loved her. I was like, yep, I'm going to write her. And, um, then from there, you know, it was, it was about, we had to cast the right person. We got, um, Natasha Ophelia, who plays Haley. And then we got, uh, Josh Castile, who was, um, he, he worked with us on sensitivity and making sure that he also watched all of her scenes and was like, okay, this is, he worked with the animators and me to make sure we were framing her hands correctly and that you could see her face and that you could like that. He did, he did a lot of really good work on making sure that it was all done correctly and that we got all the signs right as well. Um, so, so they were both just, invaluable in the process. And, um, the, you know, one of the stories I love to share is, is, um, on the day that we shot all of Haley's scenes, um, you know, I, I had written all these scripts and had said like, I, like she will be, she and miles will be communicating using, using ASL and Natasha and Josh read the scripts and they were so, they couldn't have been more polite. They couldn't have been more kind. They were just like, Hey, could we, is it okay if we give you feedback on some of this? And, you know, I, I was like, God, please. Like, it's so much more important. There, there are plot beats we need to get across. Of course, there are emotional beats I want. There are characterizations I want, but like, it's so much more important that it's right, that it feels right and authentic than that my beautiful, perfect words say my beautiful, perfect. Like, no, there's no contest. The, the former is much more important. So they gave me, wonderful feedback. I'm like, okay, this is not how someone using ASL would say this. They would say it this way. This is, uh, they together came up with, uh, signs for, for Marvel words that do not have signs in ASL. Like Roxanne needed, needed its own sign. Haley needed her name sign, which they came up with. Um, so they came up with all of that. So, I mean, they were so much part of that process and 
I learned a lot that I, I didn't know about any of the culture around ASL because they were willing to share it with me. And, um, you know, th- their work, I, I just can't say enough good things about them. They, they are as much a part of creating Haley as I was, if not more so. And I think, you know, the, if there is a lesson to be extrapolated from all this, the big lesson is, um, you know, don't be intimidated by what you don't know, just embrace that you don't know things and hire and work with people who do and, and you take that feedback and, and, and learn something from it. And and you end up getting a really great character like Haley, who, um, you know, I, I didn't in retrospect, you know, now we know that the fans love her, but I didn't, I thought a lot of players would, would miss her. She's, she's in the side content of miles. And I was like, you know, maybe some people will like her. And so the, the response was much bigger than that. I mean, people, people really loved her and, and, um, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, well, that makes sense because Natasha and Josh and everybody did such a great job and the scenes are, are just so beautifully animated. Yep. <laughs> I get why people love Haley. So, uh, it, it's, um, it, it was really special. It was so great to work on her. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely one of the best parts of my career so far. It was amazing. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of your conversation uh, on that podcast. When I heard about that, I was like, that's so cool. In video games, especially, it's important when you're playing these things and you're interacting with these characters, A, as someone who doesn't share the characteristics of a character when you're seeing them as just a normal person like they are, you know, just because someone is different doesn't mean they're not normal. And with someone who does is hard of hearing or needs to use American Sign Language to communicate or something like that, sees it being normal as well. So I want to do like uh further show my appreciation for the way that you've handled that and also the whole team of just it's so important to have characters like this and her personality being her actual personality and it's just she just happens to be someone who uses american sign language to communicate that's not a core part of her personality if you see what i'm saying yeah, I think it, I mean, it, it is, it is a core part of how she interacts with the mm. world. I think yes. that's, that is really important. And, but it's not the only, you're right. Like it's, it's not the only way that she interacts with the world. It's yeah. not, you know, uh, we, she still needs a personality. I think, I think you're right. It, is that it, it can, it can be very frustrating when you see, you finally get to see, and you know, I'm saying this just even from my own limited perspective mm-hmm. of when I was a kid playing video games and seeing like women characters mm-hmm. that that's, um, and, and just going like, Oh, there's a woman. So stop complaining. And then she gets nothing to do. And it's like, it, it's, I, I'm supposed to see myself in this character, but there's nothing to see because it's not even a two dimensional, like it's, it's a, it's a one dimensional character. So really the only thing that we could possibly have in common is that she's a woman. Um, because she has nothing else <laughs> for me to graft on. Exactly. So, so I, I think, yeah, it, it is when you are creating diverse casts. Um, and y- I mean, you just need to be thoughtful about it. You just need to treat characters like they are people, and they are nuanced, and they have flaws, just as they have, uh, you know, uh, really good traits. And and it's that's one of the most fun and interesting things that we do as writers. Like, so, so to do it <laughs> that's my really good advice <laughs> do the thing that is cool <laughs> exactly and, and speaking of things that are cool let's get on to uh, your book that's either depending on when this drops it's either very soon to come out or it's just come out there'll be uh, in my intro or outro i'll ramble about it anyway and i'll put links <laughs> in the description um but the book itself go tell us uh, about it and we'll kind of jump off from there 
Yeah. So it is about uh, women who were working in the games industry from the 1960s to about the 1990s. Um, and we got a couple who were around the 2000s, but but typically it, it is uh, this the span of time where if you talk to most people, even people within the games industry, um, you'll hear like, well, that it was all men. And finally, we opened the doors and let other people in. And it's like, uh, not really. Uh, there, there were, in fact, women there from the beginning who were making, um, you know, some of some really popular and good informative titles. Uh, for example, uh, Donna Bailey, who created Centipede, uh, mm. is a woman. <laughs> and, oh, and I didn't know that. I used to love yeah. that game. When I was, I was one of the first games I used to play when I was younger. I love that. Yep. Still do. Yep. That was her. And talking to her, I was like, uh, I mean, this was true for writing the entire book, but, but when I got to talk to her, like the fangirl was off the charts. I was like, Oh, you're just so cool. <laughs> you know, she, she was talking about, uh, you know, kind of the creativity that went to centipede and all of the, the bugs that ended up being no pun intended, but all of the bugs that <laughs> I did think that. Featured. Yeah. I was like, Oh no. Uh, but like all, all of the, these moments of like mistakes that ended up being really defining in the game, uh, and I was like, wow, so making video games is is the same as it was back then because we do the same thing. It, it was just it was really cool while I was writing the book to feel part of a legacy mm-hmm. that there, there are all these women who have been making games since people started making video games. And uh, they've, they've been here the whole time. And, um, you know, in many cases, they weren't the ones being asked to do interviews. They were not the ones being invited on the award stage. But they were there, and they were very important to the creation of these these video games that we've played and that that inspired other game devs down the line. So, um, so that that was kind of the you know the the impetus behind writing the book, and it, it was why I enjoyed uh, writing it so much and, and getting to do all that research. And what made you write the book? Out of all the things that you're already doing, what made you go? I'm going to add even more to my own play. Obviously, it's a very important thing. Uh, I think it's an important subject to anyone, but obviously, someone who your career now, especially, is so heavily into video games, it's such an important yeah. thing as a personal uh, touch for yourself. But what was the thing that specifically made you go from? Oh, I'm just I've got an intrigue into um, you know the the women who've contributed to. I want to actually research, write, and release this into the world. Sure. There, uh, so there were there were two two big formative moments that happened. Uh, the first was Eric Smith, who is uh, my literary agent, uh, approached me and because uh, he had played Walking Dead the final season and said, "Hey, I think this is th- this is a book that needs to exist. <laughs> there needs to be a history book that focuses on women because there isn't one specifically for a YA audience. Um, and I think you're the person to write it." And I said. Eric, you're silly. That book definitely already exists. There's no way it doesn't <laughs> like, you know, and, and I, but then I did some research and I was like, Oh, it, <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> you know, you were right. And then there are, I mean, there are definitely other, there's a ton of writing. There's a ton of great journalism um, that I, you know, thank God for all that great journalism because it helped in my research a ton. Um, there, there is a great uh, book called professionals of play that lists a bunch of, of really great women that work in the industry. Um but it, specifically, this book targeted at a YA audience did not exist at the time. So that that was that was the first step. And we started kind of talking about it. And I was like, oh, I just like I had just been hired in Insomniac. I think I was a couple months in. So I was like, I'm a little I'm a little busy. <laughs> but uh, but then 
I talked to a group of high schoolers at, at Indiana university, Indiana university was doing, um, basically a week long, like coding camp, uh, for high school, high school girls. And, uh, they invited me to come talk about my day to day and working in video games and what it's like is, you know, what are things you can expect as a woman? What are things you can look forward to? What is all, all these good things. And this is actually the intro of the book, but, uh, you know, this is, I'm, this is my live read version. Um, preview. Huzzah. <laughs> they, <ooh. laughs> uh, I, I did this whole, this whole spiel. No, this is my day to day. This is how I got into it. So on and so forth. Um, does anybody have any questions? And all the questions they asked me were about Gamergate and that really broke my heart. All they wanted to know, and I don't blame them for it. I want to be really clear. They wanted to know about Gamergate. They wanted to know if harassment was as bad as it seems. And if like basically why that harassment hadn't driven me out of the industry yet. And the reason that broke my heart, like, it is, it is absolutely true that, that harassment happens. And it needs to be reported on the, those stories need to be broken. I, I don't want to say like, we should really talk about it too much. No, like that needs to be talked about, mm-hmm, 100%. but that's the only story they were getting. The only times they were getting to hear about women in games are when women were being driven out of games or harassed for being in games. And that's not the whole story. Like there are also, there are reasons that we go into this industry. There are reasons that we stay in this industry. There are uh, there, there are really passionate women who are working in games right now. <laughs> so like, uh, I work with a lot of them. Um, I, I've always had women on my teams since I, since I came into games and I, I wanted them to see that side as well. Like, yes, harassment happens and it sucks and it's horrible, but also I get to celebrate wins with my team. I get to write scenes that I love. I get to work with actors. I get to do all these really great things as well. And that is really what shoved me out of, oh, maybe I'll write this book too. I really need to write this book because mm-hmm. there are women who were really passionate about games, even in the early days. Um, that is also part of the legacy they would be joining. It's not just defined by the harassers and trolls of Gamergate. It's also defined by these women who have been badass from the beginning, who, who, who were doing the job. And, and, you know, it is, it is open to young women as well. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I am, cause I think when you, I think when I was uh, researching some information about, um, your book Gamer Girls and I was like, I, I, I can't remember if it was a synopsis or if maybe it was when, um, you were speaking on the other podcasts and things. And I think you said something along the lines of, oh, there doesn't seem to be a book like this, you know, that there are mm. other books that, touch similar parts of history but not aimed at the YA audience or that sort of thing and I was a bit like I was like isn't there I was like I've not (laughs) personally looked into it but I was like that's weird and then obviously you look into it and you're like yeah there's not really and it's it's quite baffling so the fact Mm -hmm. that you you're writing it and you're the you're the one doing it I mean kudos and I look forward (laughs) to coming out and checking it out and things but What's your process out of interest? Because obviously we've spoken about with uh, with Miles Morales and the other video games and things that you have worked on and are working on, you know, the collaborative process and as well as comic books. And I know you mentioned about your illustrator as well of Gamer Girls, but what, what is your process with the book itself? How did you go about writing it? Did you say, because obviously you had your Echo's main job in the day. Did you set aside <laughs> an hour each day? Did you just write notes when it inspired you? I'm just intrigued by your process in itself of getting the book together. Yeah. Um, 
chaos. Uh, no, I, <laughs> Next <question>. I, wish, <laughs> I wish I was one of those writers who's like, you know what? I'm just a workhorse and I do an hour a day and then the book is together. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm a sprinter as a writer, uh, tragically, but I, I learned pretty early in my uh, fiction career that I am not one of those people who can add or add an extra hour to my work day. Typically, I, I just don't work that way. Um, either, you know, adding it before work or after work, uh, it, the, the, it, it just, that is a good way for me to burn out pretty fast, but I can work weekends. Weekends are good for me. So there were, there was some weekend writing for sure. Um, but the, the biggest one, I did a ton of research on weekends, uh, just for, for about the first year was mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of research. And then, uh, after miles came out, I took a few weeks off work as a like, okay, that's done. So Mary needs a break. And I went to a cabin in the middle of nowhere. This is so like cliche. This is like straight <laughs> up, like some Stephen Kane novel stuff, but I like, uh, I, I, I took a few weeks off and I rented my cousin's cabin in the middle of Michigan. There's nothing there. There are like the roads are dirt. And I went there and I wrote the majority of the book because nothing could distract me. There were no gaming systems. There was a little squidgy internet, like nothing. Um, so that is how I did it. Uh, the first chunk was, was research, was pulling together all of, all of these names and looking into all these women. And a lot of it was, um, what research is available, what has already been written on them. Do they want to talk? Um, you know, some people did not, and that's fine. Or some people I wasn't able to talk to because, um, they have since passed away. Um, so then it was, you know, how much research is available, how much has been written about them, um, how much can be verified, you know, all of that stuff that that was coming directly from my journalism background. So thank goodness I had it. Um, so tons and tons of research, pulling together names, starting, starting to sketch out what it, what the chapters could even look like. Um, and then uh, after I had pulled together that research and those outlines, then it then it got to actually writing out all those chapters. And as I was going, uh, you know, editing and and one of the things that is a fun challenge about nonfiction is also trying to make things feel like a story versus like a list. Um, it, it's not like and then they did this and this and this and this and that would be you know everybody read the book would bounce off it because of course you would. So a lot of it was looking into these women's lives and histories and careers and then finding like what what is the through line what it what really stands out about what she did and what she cared about um or what she still cares about in some cases of the people who are still working in games so it was doing that for every single chapter and then we 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 went back and forth on how long the book should be too so like one time it was 30 and then it was gonna be 20 and then and then we and we landed on 25 and and then we and then we were off (laughs) and that that was how it went (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. And all, I mean, you must have sort of other projects and things in the pipeline that you can't speak about or anything like that. But I, I wonder if this has inspired you again to be able to be like, oh, I've written a book. Obviously, it has not yet been released, but you have written a book. So maybe yeah. like, you know, a few years time, you've got another book coming out and then you come on the show and be like, yeah, you remember when I couldn't say anything about it? This is the <laughs> book I was writing. So you've got so many things that you're um, sort of busy doing. And obviously, there's a yeah. lot of things that you you can't speak about. But I wondered if, um, as we'll start to wrap up here, because you've been very uh, courteous with the amount of time that you've uh, given me. But I wondered if when it came to uh, sort of writing about uh miles morales and you mentioned about the side quest and, and with Haley and things mm-hmm. the process with writing uh the side quest and Haley specifically and things was that something where 
as much as you can tell us because obviously the company itself has certain things in place that you can't necessarily uh, let out but with your process of writing for a video game because obviously the video game does have a linear story but as a player you can choose when to do most things in different order apart from the main narrative story the side quests and things you could do that for the most part as soon as you start the game or right near the very end and just go right final boss is next so let's just do every single side quest conceivable sure and i will say on a, on a personal note like i i loved uh miles morales like I, with like i played the first yeah. spider-man game and then i was like i need to 100 percent this or i i can't i can't not do it i have to it was that kind of thing where i was like it was so much fun just swinging about i was like i could just swing about doing with no there could be no enemies there could be nothing i could just swing for hours so it's like oh yes you, you, can, you can do that and we'll we'll give you objectives it's like i'm gonna spend my life doing this and then you know, <laughs> I, I finally 100 percenting it after a while after spending time doing xyz and then you know miles morales was out and i was like well i don't have a ps5 yet and even if i did it's quite hard to get one at the moment and then you know, it came out on PS4 and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my life again, staying up stupidly late to finish it. And I'm, I'm this <laughs> no. close to 100%ing it now. I've done everything apart from finishing it on New Game Plus. I'm, I basically oh. got to the point where it's before the final battle and the warning comes up like, just so you know, if you go past this point, it's going to be the end game. And I just There's haven't plucked up the courage because I've done the hardest difficulty and I was like, I won't spoil it, but that end fight was so hard. And I was like, I need, I need to 100%ing it. But it's like uh, maybe maybe when eventually the second Spider-Man game comes out, which is which is announced a little while ago, maybe when that releases, it will push me because I keep wanting to do it. But one yeah. thing I, I wanted to note about it specifically that really meant a lot to me as a person is, and this is a, a mod spoiler for the first Spider-Man game, but people should have played it or know by now. Yeah, but, come on, um, it came out years ago. Yeah, exactly. So you know, if, <laughs> if for some reason you're listening to me talk to one of the writers of the spiritual <laughs> sequel of Spider-Man and you haven't played Spider-Man and you don't want it spoiled, or just skip a bit. But obviously <laughs> yeah. in that, Miles Morales' dad dies, you know, and in Miles Morales's, you know, in Into the Spider-Verse and his comic origins, there's variations of, you know, the story of loss, which is very common with Spider-Man. But one thing yeah. that I, I love about miles morales is that the the post game side mission um about postcards because me personally um people on the podcast all know this about me but um i lost my dad when i was 19 uh Mm -hmm. so i've got that you know that kind of connection thing and when miles was there's a moment and this is a a minor spoiler but once again the game's been out for a while and it's not about the main plot but there's parts where you go around finding postcards and in that you get little bits of audio from miles's dad and there's one line he says and he's like He's, you know, choking up as he's swinging and talking, you know, kind of out loud. And he says, I never thought I'd hear my dad talk again. And I was like, oh, God. That, I was yeah. like, that got me right in the, you know, right in the feels. So it was just, there are emotional beats in the game. And, it, it, you know, this goes for the vast majority of video games. But specifically, I found with, you know, the first Spider-Man and Miles Morales, there are emotional beats that one wouldn't expect. So I wanted yeah. to thank you as someone who is involved in that and the entire team, you know, not just the writers, but everyone involved in Miles Morales. For just that moment meant a lot to me, but also with characters like Haley, there's moments that she has, which I'm sure mean a huge amount to other people. So I want to thank you and the whole team for <laughs> those little emotional elements because the game was, you know, fun as all hell and it was so thrilling and the story was great. But that moment really meant a lot to me in a time where I didn't, expect it to i didn't expect to play miles morales and get emotional about that so i I want to thank you specifically about that element i i have first off i'm gonna totally name drop uh ben arfman who was the the lead writer of Mm -hmm. miles and and wrote wrote a lot of that um and and probably that line as well because he just 
brought so much of those those, those surprising moments of tenderness and also mm. very good jokes. <laughs> to yeah, they're all great. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And and it, it so I played through it as well because of course, like when you're on the team, you're also playtesting. And um, during during Miles's development, I lost my grandmother who mm. was really heavily involved in like she helped raise me. She was like like another parent. And um I, I had the same thing of like, oh man, <laughs> okay, I know what this feels like. Yeah. So so I know exactly what you mean. And one of the um when when I did my first like my phone interview with Insomniac, it was um it was like a couple days, maybe even only a day after I finished Spider-Man. So I, I was in prime, like I'm going to freak out at him about how great it was. Because <laughs> uh, my because my interview was with John Paquette, who's the lead writer of Spider-Man and so, you know, no pressure. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I have told him since, I told him then, I'm going to keep telling him forever, um, even though like, like many game writers, he clams up when he gets any kind of compliment, but too bad uh, <laughs> that... When Telltale, you know, when I was laid off from Telltale, I was very adrift, like a lot of people is that because you're not just losing your job, you're kind of losing your community. Like I had Mm. moved to California for that job. I was seeing these people every day and all of a sudden I wasn't. And uh, it it really was like being ripped out of your community with no warning. And it was a really hard time for me um, emotionally because also like a, a lot of people, you know, kind of reacted day of, um, you know, we're very emotional and we're crying. And I wasn't, I was just kind of shocked. The grief didn't really hit me till a month later. Mm. And then there was nobody to share it with because like we had all been separated for a month. Um, so I couldn't go back and be like, could you all be miserable again? Cause I'm miserable <laughs> I need to commiserate, <laughs> like, you know? Um, so, so I felt very alone and all that. And that's when I picked up Spider-Man. And that game, I didn't realize how much I needed a game that was talking like things are going to get better. There are people who will look out for one another. Um, We can approach really hard situations with a sense of humor. I didn't realize how much I needed it until I was playing it. And it, Mm. it really got me through a hard time. And I think that's part of what makes it so special and what, you know, what I, what I, and I know everybody else on the team really wanted to honor and continue in miles is that like mile, it's not that miles is dealing with easy problems. He Mm. is dealing with very hard problems, but he is not alone in it. You know, he had Genki, he has Genki and Rio the whole time. Uh, and, uh, it's, you know, it's not all downhill from here (laughs) is, is I think part of the lesson that we, we kind of wanted to carry forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spider-Man is a lot about, you know, even if you get knocked down, get back up again. There's a lot of the hope yeah. element and it, it runs through all of the Spider-Man media. It depends on, you know, certain comics less so depending on who's writing it. But with those games, sure. it was a huge, huge part. And I think it's so important for, yeah, people don't realize if you, if you said to me, oh, yeah, you should play this Miles Morales game because there's an emotional bit about his dad. In it, I'd be like, OK, that's a he weird what? pitch, <laughs> weird pitch for me to play a game and it wouldn't push me to play it. But because it's already you know, spiritual sequel to Spider-Man. It was so much fun and all these other elements of it. And then in addition to that, you've got this emotional part. It just, the whole, it's like the cherry on top is the term. You know, I went for the cake. But there's this little bit on the top that just made it, you know, just the chef's kiss in a sense. One of, yeah. And I don't, and I know that we're, we're trying to wrap up and I'm waxing poetic, but um, one of the things that, that was really um, emotional for me to write, let's put it that way, um, was, so, so I wrote a lot of the, um, conclusion to the relationship with sorry sorry if this is a spoiler a little bit um but 
to the conclusion of the relationship with Prowler. So mm-hmm. I wrote him, all of him in act three, I wrote their final fight, uh, all, all of those scenes. And, you know, I really had to dig deep for like times where I have had to in, in my own past where I've had to cut out a toxic family member who mm. was hurting me, not, not because they wanted to, but because, you know, because our relationship had gotten so toxic and, I was writing that boss fight and I was writing all the scenes around it. And I, I went to John and I was like, I, dude, I got nothing. I'm coming up empty. And he was like, you need to dig deeper. Like, why is Miles cutting him out now? Why didn't he do it sooner? What was going, you know, what was happening in his, in his head and his heart and really also had to dig deep into like, what are the excuses I made for people to keep them? And what was finally the breaking point? And how did I feel when I came to that point? And how did I feel in the aftermath? And that all really got shoved right into Miles' life. So sorry, buddy, like that I gave you all this. But um, but it, it, w- it was cathartic for me to work through. And I know I've also heard from some people um, and, and, you know, some of the people who worked on it that said, like, it was also really cathartic to see and to play is that, like, anybody who's ever had a difficult relationship with a family member can go, ah, <laughs> yep, I get it, buddy. I mean, maybe we didn't like punch each other across a room with superpowers, but, you know, at, at the core of, of really powerful superhero stories and in my, you know, in my humble, limited opinion, but at the core of them is what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're cranking, we're cranking up the dial on what they can do and what they're facing, which just calls back to, okay, and what is the human heart of them that is telling them they need to do this and how to use this and what it, why it matters to them. Amazing. Very well put. And I, I agree with everything you said completely. Well, Mary, I mean, I feel we could talk about, I mean, there's so many other things. I know obviously you, you <laughs> like Broadway musicals, you like Bake Off as well. And I'm British, so it's part of our culture. And you've got loads of houseplants and there are, house, there are plants in, this is probably the only room in the house yet that doesn't have plants all over it so we could have spoken about other things for hours but you're busy and you know i can i've got i know that megan's making dinner as well and so we we can't just talk forever even though that would be delightful but so um we'll wrap up here but please tell people um where they can find you um obviously i'll put links in the description as well to your website etc but kind of final statement if you want to say anything else to the audience final thoughts and plugs and then we'll kind of wrap up yeah final plugs um easiest place to find me is Twitter. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, born and raised now, uh, but I'm, I'm Mary Kay news, um, which is from my time as a journalist. It's not because I think I'm important enough. That there's like news about me. I want to be very clear. <laughs> Mary Kay news is my Twitter handle. Um, you can also find me on Mary Kay games.com is, uh, is my web personal website. Those are the two best ways to find me. Um, I'm not cool enough to be on other social medias, but you know, I am sort of lurking <laughs> around. Uh, and then, yeah, the other big plugs are just, uh, I guess kind of a, a thank you to everyone who's been really supportive and has reached out about things that, that I've worked on, or even others have worked on that I am also a fan of that meant something to you. It's just, it's always such a delight to see and to get to connect with other people who love nerdy things. So keep doing that. Y'all are best. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for making time. And also, yeah. you know, I'll put a link in the description about your book, Gamer Girls and Things, and I'll make sure that people are aware specifically, you know, depending on when this gets released on when that sort of comes out and things. And then, yeah, further down the line, you know, the, the door is always open for you to come back on the show to promote you know another book or game of girls again or the wolverine when you can eventually you know maybe after it's been released for us you can actually talk about it in any way that won't get you in trouble so you know 
but the door is always open and just thank you for making time for myself and my audience we all hugely appreciate it thanks for having me And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, my friends, make sure you check out Mary Kenny's appearances on other podcasts, including the She Plays Games podcast. I've included that mention in the description because I did speak about the podcast a fair amount in this conversation with Mary. And obviously check out Mary's Twitter account as well as her website and please pick up her book, Gamer Girls, as well. It would really help her out. So what have we got coming up? Well, I've recently recorded a podcast episode with Mandy Wong. She is a woman who wears many different hats, uh, but primarily around visual design and illustrations. She has some incredible artwork. She has a YouTube show that's got millions and millions of views. It's an animated show for preschool kids. And she's just a really, really cool person. So I'm very, very excited to release that episode. That should be out next week. And in addition to that, I've got a few podcasts due for recording in sort of later August as well. So hopefully it'll be a a nice through run of podcasts over the coming weeks. In addition to that, I've been guesting on a few podcasts as well. Some of them haven't been released yet, so I'll talk about those when they do come out. But I recently appeared on Spider-Dan and the Secret Boars. So obviously I've had Spider-Dan on the show before and also myself, Megan Rhea Carrigan of Comics in Motion and Pop Gorillas, as well as Spider-Dan, all do our Disney discussion sort of mini-series that's been released on this feed, as well as the feed of Comics in Motion, and it will be released on the feed of Spider-Dan and the Secret Boars as well. And I went over to Spider-Dan's podcast, and we did something called Clone Boars, which is one of the episode types he does, where you compare two pieces of content. We compared Maximum Carnage, so the 94 big crossover event of Carnage in the Spider-Man comics, as well as Venom and things, and then we compared that to the Absolute Carnage, which was in sort of the 2010s, I think 2015-ish, I can't remember the exact time, but that was a big crossover event in Marvel Comics as well, once again with Spider-Man, Carnage and Venom, but with loads more characters involved as well. So we compared those two pieces of content, as well as mentioning the Venom Let There Be Carnage movie, and just seeing how all of those different comics interpret Carnage, and we just talk about them at length. It's a really, really fun conversation. I've included the link to that in the description, so make sure you check that out if you are so inclined. In addition to that, I obviously appeared on Indie Comic Spotlight semi-recently to speak about Kevin Scott's Shadow Service, so a link to that's in the description as well, as well as my most recent appearances on the Star Wars Timeline YouTube show. And speaking of Star Wars, I've got my Star Wars Comics and Canon podcast that airs on the feed of Comics in Motion, but you can also check it out on my YouTube channel. So over on my YouTube channel, there's playlists for the multitude of conversations I have that are put into a variety of categories. There's also video versions of a huge amount of my conversations, especially recently. And in addition to that, there's also every single episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon in there, inappropriate playlists. So if you just want to hear, for example, of every single appearance of Darth Vader in comics and you want to know the stories he's been involved with and some of the connections to other content, there's a Darth Vader playlist. Loads of different things like that, so please go to my YouTube channel and please subscribe. A link to that is in the description. Aside from that, follow me at Genuine Chit Chat on all the social media places. Please rate and review this show on Good Pods and Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify you can do a rating out of five without even having to write anything. So please do that. It does massively, massively help the show out. Please recommend it to friends, share on social media, that sort of thing. And in addition to that, please consider checking out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Chat. For as little as £1 a month, you get access to an audio-exclusive feed where you can't get that anywhere else. You had a taster of it last week on this feed where there was the Malta uh, discussion myself and Megan did. 
And there's also other ones on there, including an Isle of Wight discussion, as well as we've recently got a puppy, so we're going to be talking about that quite a lot. We've also been doing our Tom Hanks watch, so up to Forrest Gump at the moment. We've been doing ones on Harry Potter, on many of the MCU movies, a lot of new movies, and some older movies as well. Also, we've done TV series reviews. We have done a huge, huge amount of things over on Patreon. You get at least one episode of that every single week. And at the moment, I've been posting quite a few pictures of our new puppy and a few videos as well. So please consider checking that out for as little as £1 a month. You get access to hours and hours of additional audio content. And when an extra long episode of Genuine Chit Chat airs on this feed in one and two parts, over on Patreon, they get access to both parts and one unsplit episode when part one drops. But that's going to be enough for me, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate each and every one of you listening all the way up to the very end. Make sure you check out the show notes for all information. Please follow Mary Kenny on social media and tell her how much you enjoyed listening to her on this show. And I'll be talking to yourselves next week with my conversation with Mandy Wong. So I'll speak to you then. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.